though we're not just talking about the one we're kind of lumping well no three <laughs> three technically right True. we got the two different movies and then the two versions of the one movie so we're going to cover all three like at least in passing i figure um we have a bigger project planned for the original 1960 roger corman little shop of horrors but we'll come to that we'll talk about that so yeah we have the 1960 film and the 1986 film, the musical version. Yep. Alistair was excited when Joe Bob ended up showing Little Shop the other night. Yeah. Uh, or like, I don't know, when was that? Last week? Was that last week? I think. Feels right. It was the last week of the show. How about that? Uh, it was the last week of that season of The Last Drive-In. And Al doesn't typically get to watch episodes of The Last Drive-In because... The movies are not kid-friendly. Yep. I don't know. Have you ever watched a full episode? No. So this was a first. And I mean, coming so soon after the Silver Bolo, right? Pretty good timing. Yeah. So, okay. Little Shop of Horrors. This is not your first experience with either movie. You've seen both of them a couple times now. All right. So where do you want to start? Like I said, three versions of this story here. How do you want to do this? Let's start with the musical. Okay, cool. So, we've got two different cuts of the musical. What do we got? We got the director's and theatrical cut. All right, yeah. And we've got those both on Blu-ray. So, we actually took a look at both versions for this episode. Which one do you want to talk about first? Theatrical. Well, that makes sense. Because that's kind of how we watched it. We watched the theatrical, which is the one that I grew up with, right? And then when that was over, we went back and watched like the last half hour of the movie again, which is where the big difference like in terms of story is for the director's cut. Um, what do you where do you want to start here? Well, I do want to say that they are really good songs. Yeah, the music, man. Love the songs in this movie. What's your favorite one? Or should we save that for the end? Should we do like a segment on that? Give you time to think about it? I think that would that I think that could be like a part of like um beastly best like a section. Sure. Okay. Let's save one. that. Okay. Let's save like it. Like for like for musical monster movies, we can have an exclusive section with our favorite song from it. Yeah, that makes sense. Let's do that then. We'll come back to this. All right, musical. Lay it on me, man. What are your thoughts? So, like the first thing I noticed that was different is that the plant. Looks a lot different. From the original. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's a big puppet, right? Big puppet plant. Not that the one in the original wasn't a puppet, but like, you know, it, it's not as articulated as this one. 
in the musical was. Yeah, it looks more like a Venus flytrap. Sure. Like, well, this one kind of looks like the chomper from Plants vs. Zombies. <laughs> well, uh, I think Plants vs. Zombies uh, was predated by uh, I, Little Shop. I know, it just, <laughs> it just does. It kind of sure. looks like that. It has the same, like, mouth design. Well, like, uh... Mario Brothers, like that, like that comes up out of the pipe. Yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. All three of those are very similar. Sure, absolutely. So, yeah, that's the first different thing about like the So we're just going to kind of like talk about differences here first? Yeah. Okay, then I have a question for you. What was your favorite change and what made you sad that they cut? Because obviously the story is very different, right? I mean... Seymour is a very different character between the original film and the musical. And the the nuances of the story are very, very different. I mean, the original film was filmed in two days. And this is this musical is clearly a big budget production. I really miss the comic book for like intro part. Like oh, the, the animated intro? Yeah. Okay. But the but my favorite added I probably have to say um, the plant. I really like how it is in the musical. Like it has more personality. Yeah, I like. Yeah. I like it better. Sure. I mean, Audrey too here, and of course, Audrey Junior is the name of the plant in the original, and this is Audrey too in the musical, right? Mm-hmm. All right. My okay. Here are my things. The thing that I am saddest that isn't in this movie in the musical is, I guess, twofold. But they're both related to the same thing. Dick Miller. Yeah. Right? We lose the Dick Miller character, which I like the Dick Miller character from the original. And we don't have Dick Miller in the musical. And I love Dick Miller. I think he's incredible. He's one of my favorite actors of all time. He's in Bucket of Blood, one of our favorite movies. Yeah. He's so, a protagonist. Yeah, exactly. Um, and Little Shop of Horrors is kind of like the same story as Bucket of Blood, just with a flower shop instead of sculpting, right? Yeah, 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 you're very right about that. Yeah. Like, with the original version, is almost exactly like a Bucket of Blood with more plants in it. Like, <laughs> yeah, plants yeah. in it. Yeah, and as you know, I don't remember if Joe Bob talked about it, or if uh, I was just talking about it. But basically, Dick Miller was offered the role of Seymour in the original film, but turned it down because he's like, this is just the same character I played in Bucket of Blood. So why would I play the same character? You know? And he ended up uh, passing it off to a friend of his, and then he plays this part of the guy who comes in and is eating the flowers. Mm -hmm. Which he does... Every single time someone asks him if he really did that. <laughs> Ate the flowers? Yeah. Well, or he did do that. Uh, Dick Miller passed away a couple years ago. Super sad. You know, and, and I haven't, like, been able to make movies on the scale that I wanted to make them as yet. But when we were working on uh, a script that I had optioned for a year, one of the people that we kept talking about, the producer and myself... We were talking about Dick Miller, how we wanted to find a place in the movie to put Dick Miller. You know, the, as a legend, we needed the man in the movie. So, sadly, never got to work with him. Bummer. Sadly, he's not in the musical. Uh, my favorite addition to the musical, though, in terms of story, I like the dentist character a lot. <laughs> I think that 
Steve Martin's dentist character gets this huge role. Like, I like him insofar as, like, he's, you know, he's a bad dude, but, like, he gets great musical numbers. He's got these dancing bits that he has, but uh, just all around exciting, fun character, though he is a terrible person. Mm Mm-hmm. He says, so be a dentist. (laughs) Yep. Because he's a guy who grew up hurting animals and stuff. He's like basically a serial killer in the making. And instead of becoming a serial killer, he became a dentist. But of course, he's also like a domestic abuser and stuff. He's a real monster. As much a monster as Audrey, too, in some ways, right? If if not more, maybe. Hmm. I actually thought about something. Yeah, it is sad that Dick Miller isn't there, but um, that's fine by... Uh... Forgot his name. Bill Murray? Yeah. Yeah, Bill Murray turns up, right? Uh, In the original, that's Jack Nicholson, which doesn't mean much to you, I can't imagine. Uh, He was the Joker in the original Batman, right? He's the star of The Shining. You haven't seen The Shining, but he's the star of The Shining. But anyway, that was an early Jack Nicholson role. But yeah, Bill Murray turns up. In that same role as the guy who likes going to the dentist, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he makes it way funnier. Yeah. Oh, he gets a huge scene, right? I mean, Jack Nicholson sort of walks off screen, goes into a room, and then comes out with holes in his teeth. Bill Murray gets a whole bit, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wanted to tackle then, because we're on this subject of the dentist, we should do some parental guidance here really quick while we're thinking about it. This is not necessarily a movie that you're going to want to watch with your kids, depending on, you know, uh, how old they are, what kind of stuff they can handle, how much you want to explain to them, you know, how much you want to have to explain to them. This movie is rated PG-13, right? And uh, it's got a number of things on the back here. But what would you say are the things that audiences should be concerned about or whatever, parental guidance-wise? Really? Just like... The dentist character. The dentist character? And what stuff specifically? Well, because he's like, he's not like the main bad guy Audrey 2 is, but he's more of like, like, he's more bad. Like, bad. (laughs) He's just generally bad? Yeah, he's worse. Okay. Yeah, I mean, he, like I said, he's a domestic abuser, right? He uh, beats up on Audrey, so... That's an upsetting part of it. That's part of the stuff that's going on in the background. Something that's there to kind of motivate Seymour to take action, you know. But then on top of that, he also there's also like a, a like a substance abuse kind of thing going on with him too, because he's always huffing on nitrous oxide, right? Like huffing on the gas, which actually is the thing that kills him in the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It certainly is, uh, which that can happen if you are a substance abuser, right? So domestic abuser, substance abuser, obviously there's violence in it, right? I mean, people get eaten by a big plant, you know. There's some Mm. swearing. Yep, there is some. And other innuendo type language. So definitely some stuff to be aware of there. Check it out before you show it to your kids, If you haven't seen it before, 
I think the fact that in this one, the end where I think the end part, I don't want to spoil it because of how good that is, of how good both of the endings are in this one. Um, yeah, because like, like I said, it's the theatrical and director's yeah. cut. The last half hour is way different. Yeah, in the theatrical cut, this one that we're covering right now, the end, even though... Yes, it does have a swear word that gets covered up by how funny it is. Oh, where Audrey? Yeah. Audrey too? Like her last yeah, word. Okay, like okay, actually, okay, I got the you. last word she says in the movie is a swear word. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And then uh, and then she gets absolutely destroyed. <laughs> so, okay, before we now we've talked about the end, right? We're going back to our old school mm-hmm. Uh, way of reviewing things talk about basically nothing then talk about the end and then go back but is there so is there anything else you wanted to talk about i mean like i do want to say that i think the i think my favorite musical numbers are probably the plants oh yeah yeah yep especially the last one which frankly i think is my best one that I okay so we're not saving that for the end we're just going to do that now (laughs) <laughs> um but yes uh audrey 2's songs are fantastic and uh audrey 2 was voiced by uh levi stubbs from the four tops which is a musical group from the you know like 60s and 70s right so that makes it kind of extra cool like audrey 2's got this great you know um i mean it's levi stubbs voice I, you know what more do you want from that i guess you're making the weird face at me like the little baby plants do. All right. <laughs> like, why are you staring at me like a creeper? What's going on over here? <laughs> the evil Audrey 2 smile. <laughs> mm-hmm. How'd you feel about Rick Moranis as Seymour? I think the characters are a lot alike in the original and this one. Mm-hmm. Really, like, I didn't really see much of a difference between them. Yeah? Yeah. Both are kind of daft characters right they're they're not like the smartest of guys necessarily but it's definitely a different kind of i I don't know daftness i suppose which comes from you know uh seymour in the musical having been basically orphaned and then raised as like an employee of this flower shop right Mm -hmm. well now that i think about it one of my favorite plant moments from the original isn't in the musical. Oh, yeah? We're just jumping all over the place. Bear yeah, with us. The part, <laughs> the part where Seymour gets, like, hypnotized. He gets hypnotized? In the original. Remember by the plant? I don't it remember it. Like, to feed the plant? He's like, feed me. And then he, like, hypnotizes Seymour and, like... Yes, master, and then the girl gets hit on the head with a rock. Right, 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 right. Okay, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, when he he's talking to that woman, and he throws the rock in the air, and then it like cracks her skull. Yeah, Mm -hmm. dark comedy. That for sure. (laughs) Both of them dark comedies. But there's a a deeper sadness to the musical, particularly with regard to you know people who live in Skid Row you know, where the shop is, right? They all live on Skid Row. Everybody's, you know, poor and sad and depressed and they just want to get out of there. And that's a great motivator for Seymour, you know? Like, 
He doesn't have to be hypnotized because Audrey 2 is literally the only shot he has at getting off Skid Row, you know, of making something of himself. But in both movies, that chance to get off Skid Row is basically uh, ruined. I mean, you know, (laughs) and also replete with murder, (laughs) you know, lots of corpses. So not the best way to move up in the world, right? Mm-hmm. It's <laughs> That's like an he, understatement, obviously. Yeah. if It's kind of like if you take the theatrical cut and then in an alternate universe where the plants, like, it didn't, like, like it didn't get destroyed in the theatrical cut and it's actually back and it's just, like, faking it, it figures that it might seem like it's taking revenge. Oh, you mean, like, if we look at the musical as, like, a sequel to the original? That no, sort of like thing? the director's cut like of it, the musical, as a sequel to the theatrical cut of the musical, it seems like the plant is getting the revenge. Oh, I gotcha, I gotcha. Well, okay, so what? now that we're at least touching on the director's cut, what's the big difference between the ends of these movies, the last half hours? And let's let's dive into that, right? I mean, because up until that point, The story's very similar. Seymour has a weird plant. He doesn't know what to do with it. Finds out that it will only grow if it drinks blood. And then eventually it starts eating people and he has to kill people. And then the ending is different in all three versions, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Between the theatrical cut of Little Shop of Horrors, the musical, and the director's cut... Let's talk about that big difference, a difference that was motivated by test screenings, right? They showed the director's cut to audiences and they were very upset by the end of the movie. So they went back and they reshot it to give it like a happier ending. But what's the big difference? Why don't you lay that out? Um, And spoilers, listeners. I mean, obviously, we've already talked about some ending stuff, but huge spoilers. Here we go. uh, Well, I wanted to say something that I like just noticed. The plant wins two out of three times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, all the originals are like the plant wins, except, of course, the theatrical is like, because people got mad about the ending. Yeah, and so they changed it to be a happier ending. That's the only version where Seymour walks out of it. But right? still, in the original version of the musical, the plant wins. Is that the only difference with the end of the movie? Well, there in the, in the director's cut of the movie, total world destruction. Is the world totally destroyed in the theatrical cut? Nope. The plant gets electrocuted. Right. So why do you think audiences would not have liked that director's cut ending? I think it's because you might think that it's weird that they... Didn't complain about the original, but I think it's because in the original, the plant wins, but it doesn't, it's not like the plant, like, fully wins. Like, because in the second one, like... So you're talking about the 1961, the plant doesn't fully win. It's not taking over the world, just Seymour dies, right? Mm -hmm. And also, it doesn't, like, it, it gets Seymour, but, like, that's it. In the director's cut of the musical, it gets Audrey and Seymour. So, and the world. 
and the world, but I think it's, like, just about, like, Seymour and Audrey, because they get, like, to respect them, and then they get eaten. Okay, okay, so in what ways do we come to respect them, and why do, why does that become a problem when they get eaten? Well, like, from the songs, they're, like, sad, they're poor, and, like, they're suddenly, like, big and famous, and then, like, this plant has become so big, it's, like, being, it, like, became a problem for them in the musical, and, like, they have to destroy it. Yeah. Otherwise, it's going to destroy them. But, of course, in the original director's cut ending, they don't, and they die, right? But you've got a great point there, that our relationship to these characters is really defined by the earliest songs in the movie. Seymour and Audrey are, like you pointed out, really sad, really sad people. And they're poor and they just want something better. They want to have better lives. The song, uh, the Skid Row song in the beginning of the movie is so powerful. So, so powerful. And we want them to get out. We want them to live the lives that they want to live. Yeah, I also just thought about something. If you think about it in the right way, the plant doesn't fully like fully win because in the original it's not like the plant eats seymour seymour tries to kill the plant but gets eaten unintentionally and then in the 1960 original yes yes but then seymour also unintentionally gets eaten in the musical and audrey actually the plant didn't get audrey like the plant killed her but didn't eat her like, yeah, well, not not at first. Like, yeah, she died from being like bitten by Audrey too. Yeah, so yeah. Audrey too didn't fully like kill her. Like, she died from the bite, not from getting eaten. So, in the theatrical cut, they win, but Seymour gets hurt. He does get hurt. Yeah, but they he but gets they live. Buried with a building. Yeah, the whole building <laughs> crumbles on him. But they live, right? And that's like, but that's the thing is what we want for the characters is for them to get together, to get married, to go live in the place that they want to live, to have the lives that they want to have, not be on Skid Row. To just, and they don't want much, right? Like they don't necessarily want to be big and famous and all this. They just want to get out of this place and have a better life of some sort. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a, like so little to ask that for the end of the movie in the director's cut for them to uh, have Audrey killed off and then to have Seymour get killed and then to spend another five, ten minutes of the movie going along without them, knowing that they're dead. Like, that's a kick in the stomach, man. Yeah, like, I also think that, like, if you watch it... In the, like, the three movies in this exact order, then, like, it's better. If you watch the director's cut of the musical first where everything gets destroyed and, like, it's, like, whoa, I just, I don't know what happens there. Then you watch the original, which then you can understand them a little more. Um, like, you can understand how they feel, like, a little, like, more. The 1961, so go director's cut, 86. 1960, and then mm-hmm. theatrical. That's yeah, the order that you recommended? Like, okay. 
after you watch the original one, you're like, oh, wow, that's different, but... And then you think about it a little while, and, like, then you feel, like, as, like, sad for them as you would if you watch both of them in the opposite order, just, like, you feel it a little more, and it's not like, um, you're, like, you're mad at it, and then you watch the theatrical cut, and then they actually live happily ever after, and, like, you're happy, and then... Like, you're happy for them, so if you watch it in that order, then that's good. So that you go out on, like, a positive note? Yeah, I mean, I understand the reshoots. <laughs> I get it. There's a lot of amazing stuff that's lost in the cutting of the director's cut material to accommodate the new theatrical ending. So that sucks. We'll come to that in our segments. I, I know this for sure. But... The ending feels better to me. I mean, there's a time and a place to watch movies that are depressing. And Little Shop of Horrors, the original, is a movie that is more of a horror movie. I mean, it's tongue-in-cheek, right? I mean, it's got its goofiness to it. But it's kind of a mean movie from the start. Yeah. The musical, by contrast, is... I mean, it's not just kind of a dark world it's like outright depressing from the start right it gets you started off so low the original 1960 starts out really on a high note with a bunch of comedy right and it's like comedy 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 the musical starts us off depressed right and like that's way different you know like that's like to start in a place of comedy and end in a place where the characters are dead that's a whole trajectory but to start out depressing and to end depressing, we didn't get anywhere. True. Right? Like, I think in the, like, original one, it's up and down and up and down and up and down and all that stuff. And, like, your hopes and, like, for them is, like, is going up and down, up and down, up and down. And then goes down on an unexpected low note. Mm -hmm. um, in the original director's cut of the musical, it's basically just a um a triangle like your hopes like they start to get like really depressing and then your hopes start to get higher and higher as they get better and like it's super good and then suddenly things start to happen and then like the climax comes close and then like total world destruction you end on a low note while in the theatrical cut like, it starts to get higher and higher, and then it starts to go, like, lower, and it gets, like, scarier and stuff like that. That's when, like, it goes, like, down, and then it goes up again, because they, like, win. I see what you're saying. So, in the theatrical cut, it's like, we start in a down place. We end up going into a place that's really high note for the characters, right? We get some success for Seymour. And then we see what that success causes, this sort of downward spiral of murder and whatnot. But at the end, we get to go back up from that. It doesn't Even continue higher. downward all the way through the end of the movie like the director's cut does. Mm -hmm. It yeah. gets, I would say, even higher. Yeah, so like, absolutely. It gets like higher than other any other points in the other movies. Well, in like... In terms of positivity, yeah, you're talking. Yeah, like... Yes. If you watch it in that order, and you might 
basically what I did with the order is like you're starting with the most depressing ending as you're just starting to get to know and like care for the characters so like you don't really feel them because you have n- no idea what like was supposed to happen then you watch the original and like you realize what happens and then you watch the good ending and like your hopes are even lower because you know they got killed in the other ones but then that makes it at, at the end your hopes are way higher it's a it's a nice surprise mm-hmm. right it feels good yeah absolutely so mm-hmm. that's really the big difference between the three versions of the story to me too like yeah narratively they're very similar but the way they begin and end are very different right like even though two of them begin in the same place like almost identically because you know the theatrical and director's cut of the musical open the same they go in such different directions that they're totally different movies mm-hmm. right so okay which version of the musical do you prefer i prefer the director's cut of the musical you like the really sad one yeah <laughs> okay well Normally, the ending of it would be, like, super down, but for me, I'm like, that's so cool. Well, that's the thing. Okay, so let's move into Beastly Best, because this is where I am torn. (laughs) Because the end of the director's cut is amazing. Everything after Seymour's death in the director's cut is my Beastly Best. That whole end of the director's cut is, to me, the Beastly Best. What about you? Yeah. Me too. Also, frankly, I can't not say that I also love the end of the other musical when the plan gets electrocuted. Oh, yeah, and then blows up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's great stuff too, right? But the the end of the director's cut is basically, it becomes like a kaiju film, right? Like it becomes like a Godzilla movie, but, you know, giant plants. I especially like when the plan was just like, on top of the bridge, like, making the bridge about to crumble into the water. Yeah. And, like, drop into the water. Such great effects. Like, it's so cool. If you've never seen the director's cut, listeners, check it out. Like, yeah, it's depressing. It's super depressing. But if you're the people, most of you are, the people that like our episodes and, like... Like monster movies. Yeah, then that's going to be super cool for you guys. Absolutely. I mean, it's amazing. Like the effects work in the end of that is so great. So as a monster movie, the director's cut is a better monster movie. Yeah. Right. As a narrative about characters, the theatrical cut is more rewarding in a traditional sense. Yeah, I also think that, like, if you watch a theatrical cut first and then you watch the other pressing ones, you might think, like, why did they change the story? Because you might think that the original one had them succeed because that's the first one you watched. When, like, people, they didn't have the theatrical cut, like, yet, and they were, like, super mad that it won because I don't... When like, you're the, talking about the test audiences. Yeah, like, yeah. the plants, like, won... Because I don't think they really knew that it's supposed to be that way. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, like, you go through a story expecting certain things. Audiences have expectations when they watch a movie. When you make film, that's what you're doing, is you're basically playing on human psychology. We know how audiences process stories. We know what they expect. 
And if you know what the audiences expect, you can play with that. But knowing what they expect also means that you kind of have to give them something, right? You can't give them nothing of what they expect. You can't totally upend everything unless like it's worth it. If what they expect is for the characters who are super depressed to not have a super depressing ending, yeah, they're going to be upset by the end of this director's cut. And that is clear as day, right? Like that's obvious to me as a storyteller. If you're making a monster movie, however, and not really thinking about it as a character piece, then the way you go is the director's cut. Yeah, I'm also like, um, I'm kind of disappointed that at least one of them didn't get eaten by the plant in the theatrical. Yeah, you thought one of them should have? Yeah. Like that Seymour should go on to live without Audrey or Audrey should go on to live without Seymour. I mean, it makes sense for Seymour to die. That's what happens in the 1960 version. Seymour dies because, like, he killed people, you know? Like, he was feeding people to plants. Kind of got what was coming to him, you know? Like, it, what goes around comes around. But, yeah, I don't I don't know that I feel the same way about Rick Moranis's Seymour. Like, he's so sad. It's just so depressing. I don't know that I feel he deserves to die as much as maybe the original made you feel about the first Seymour, right? I don't know. I don't know, man. We could have this debate for hours, and we're already going pretty long with this episode, so maybe we should go on to the next uh, segment, huh? I also want to say one thing. I really think that, if people think about it, I don't know why people are mad about the director's cut of the uh, musical when, like, I'm, like, confused about that because the original, the characters, like, you're introduced to them, but if you think about the other movies... You compared to the others, you barely know any of the other characters than Seymour, and you in don't get the nineteen sixty version. Yeah, and like yeah. the original one, you don't know that. And then Seymour gets eaten. The only character we actually knew much of of anything about. So I don't know why people got mad about the musical director. I I think where you're running into an issue is like you're thinking about the movies in relation to one another. But there's a good chance that the test audiences hadn't seen the original. The, the people watching that director's cut, the test audiences, test audiences, it's not like you show it to everybody in the world, right? You get a couple theaters full of people and you show totally random people this movie and get their opinions, right? So when you do that, you then get them to fill out cards and they tell you how they feel about it. But, like, you don't know that they're your audience, right? You don't know that this is a horror audience. You don't know that these are people who've seen the original film. These are just random people off the street. Yeah, so I think that sometimes when movies, like, die at the test audiences, they might have been great Oh sure. for some other people, just like there weren't any of those people in there. Yeah, absolutely. There are plenty of stories about test audiences absolutely hating a movie that is like a fan favorite, you know, that it was just shown to the wrong people. And so then maybe it was shown to the wrong people. They didn't like it. So the studio maybe pulled back on advertising. Maybe they didn't release it as widely. And the movie ended up sort of fading away until it got discovered by audiences on VHS or whatever. Right. There's there are plenty of stories exactly like that. Sometimes they result in a movie having reshoots done, like this one did. But, again, 
we don't know who those test audiences were, right? Yep. So I don't know. But I'm glad that there were those test audiences because I like having both versions of the story. I think that the musical having both of these endings available to us is really interesting. Yeah, because if it like if it didn't have the other ending with Audrey 2 like fully winning, then we like, wouldn't get the cool monster stuff. Yeah, yeah. like we would have had like I would have been like okay because they would have like you would have thought like that it's a like a happy story because it's happier than it's more happy at the end of the like theatrical than it is like sad at the end of the original one. But then if we didn't get the theatrical, then I think that people will be, like, super, super mad at them. Because, like, we lost the main characters both times, and, like, they always lost. And, like, the bad guy, like, won both times. So, yeah. Yeah, tough call, right? Was there a get spooked moment for you? Did you get spooked? Anything scary? No, not, yeah. not really. What do you think? Um, there are moments that people not like me would get scared at. I don't know. I mean, the chopping up of the body is pretty like scary in terms of presentation because you got the shadow with Seymour and the axe and everything, right? So there's a potential there. I think people who are afraid of dentists could definitely uh, get some scares out of this movie. But otherwise, it's presented mostly for fun. You know, like it's mostly just a good time. I think people that haven't seen any others would probably be scared by the monster. Maybe. Yeah. Although the monster is pretty charismatic. So I don't know. So, okay, let's move on to the big one then. Scream themes. What do you think is a major message of this film? Well, I think we've already like talked about it. In what way? What's that message? I think we've already, like, like I think most of the stuff we've talked about is, like, the important stuff. Like, I think the message here is that life rarely is ever what, like, what movies and comic books show you. You don't get that. What I mean by that is, like, you normally see, in a, like, a lot of movies and books and comic books that, like, superhero has a hard time, but then, like... Um, he prevails, but in oh, real yeah. life, you rarely ever get that. Oh yeah, that see that is in keeping with both the original film and the director's cut. I like this. It's very sad, but very powerful. And I agree that for two out of the three movies, that is exactly what the movie says. That like we want so much for ourselves. We see in movies, we see out in the world, other people succeeding, fictional people succeeding. We want that, but it's maybe not realistic for most people that, and I mean, it's really sad. Like, it's a really sad, depressing theme, but it's definitely there. And I think that that is exactly why the audiences and those test audiences responded the way they did. People don't want to be told that. They want to keep that lie, you know, alive or whatever, you know, that like they can they can have everything, you know. Most of us are not going to be filthy rich and have all the things that we want in life, right? Like if you want a mansion, sorry, most of us are not going to have mansions. That's just how it goes. Yeah, because 
people don't, like, want to, like, um, like, hear that. I also think it's even worse when it's endings like the theatrical cut of the musical where, like, it's like, oh no, has the superhero lost, like, something unexpected most people would be killed by, but the superhero somehow prevails, like, uh, barely living on. That, I think, is even worse, because, like, that probably, like, won't ever happen to you. So you're, so you're upset here, and I, upset's maybe the wrong word, but you're calling out movies that lie to audiences, right? I mean, the one thing that we have to keep in mind, though, okay, is, okay, maybe audiences are lied to by media. Fair, right? Like, that happens. And I don't mean, like, lied to in the way that so many people have been talking about lately with regard to the news. But I mean, like, messages from movies. Like, you can have everything you want, right? Like, all you have to do is want it bad enough and you'll get it. That's not true. That's just not true for most people with most things. Our lives are very different in terms of the journeys that we take than what we see in the media. And so, yeah, absolutely, you have every right to be upset about media that spreads this misinformation. I agree. What we also have to keep in mind, though, is that movies are typically watched by people for the purposes of escapism. Do you know what that means? Not really, but I understand the context here. I don't understand the exact meaning, but I understand. Yeah, like... You're living your life, okay? You like you you had a hard day at work, maybe your car's in the shop, whatever. Life is hard, and so you watch movies to forget about the hardships of your life, right? Yeah. And, and so then, like that's why people engage with movies and like TV and stuff to escape their everyday lives. So they don't want to be reminded about how um unlikely it is that they will get everything in the world that they ever want. You know yeah. what I mean? So when you understand that audiences are watching movies for that reason, that gives you context, right? And we understand it. You don't want to always be reminded about sad things, right? Think of anything sad that's happened in your life. You don't want to be reminded of that, you know, when you're sitting there trying to watch like Garfield in the morning, <laughs> you know? So we, we need that escapism, you know, to forget about that from time to time. Although it is nice when you do have a work of art that is honest, that does these interesting things. And there's room for both. There's absolutely room for both, which is why I love this Blu-ray that has both. It's got the really bleak, honest director's cut and then the traditionally hopeful, happy ending of the theatrical cut. And I like them both. And on any given day, I'd probably watch the theatrical cut over the director's cut but then I'd still watch the last few minutes of the director's cut because the like giant, you know, plants, that's super rad. So I think there's room for both. Mm-hmm. But we need to get this show wrapped up. Really deep conversation. Great work today, man. We got this got intense. Yeah. Right? I mean, Little Shop of Horrors took us to wild places. And we're going to be recording a commentary track. To probably put out near October, I guess, like we did last year. Yeah. Um, for the original 1960 Little Shop of Horrors, which is in the public domain. 
So we're going to record a commentary track for that and then put our commentary on it, you know, the public domain version of it. And then our patrons will get to watch the movie and listen to us chat over it. So, Alistair, where can they do that? Where can they find us and see that when it's released? You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash wordsalad. Yep. And shout outs to all of our awesome patrons. Thank you for supporting us. Uh, We'll get you all by name next time. But uh, we also have a bit of business to do here. So... Again, patreon.com slash wordsalad supports us, supports Word Salad Radio. Another thing that supports us is, of course, if people leave ratings and reviews on, like, Apple Podcasts, right? Mm-hmm. And you know Al loves these reviews, loves reading them on the show. So, Al, uh, why don't you come around and I will have you read our new review. From Ennui79, five stars. So much fun. Brought here by Joe Bob and... Wasn't disappointed. Al's the coolest kid ever, and the conversations are always fun and remind me why I love horror movies so much. Thanks. Thanks, Anmi. Yeah, absolutely. We really appreciate it. Again, that helps us get noticed and all that kind of business. But more than anything, it's just great to hear from people who are listening to the show. And we are also, I should mention, not just on Apple Podcasts and wherever you're listening to us now, um, unless I guess you're listening to us on Spotify, which is what I'm about to talk about. Uh, But we're on Spotify now. So if you're listening to us somewhere and you've always listened to us in that place and you're like, man, it'd be great if they were on Spotify, we're on Spotify. So... There you go. Thanks to our friend Maeve for telling us that we're not on Spotify and (laughs) reminding me that that's a thing that we should do. So we did that. Um, But Al, where else can our listeners find us online? Plow through it and then sign us out. Let's go. You can find us on Twitter at cadaver underscore cast. You can find us on Instagram at Cadavercast. One word. You can find us on Facebook at the Cadavercast Critters and Creeps Club. Join the club. And you can email us at cadavercast at gmail.com. Boom. You've been listening to another episode of Cadavercast. I'm Al Burnham. And I'm Cadaver Dad Jeff Burnham. We love ya. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks. So be a dentist.